Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. With the California Gold Rush of 1849 and the Silver Rush of the Comstock Load in 1859, during the 19th century, it seemed like the American West held endless possibilities for wealth, and Americans were looking for the next big thing. Two Kentucky swindlers, cousins named Philip Arnold and John Slack, lured investors with claims of having discovered a large deposit of diamonds. The two men ensnared, among others, some of California's biggest bankers and businessmen, as well as a former commander of the Union Army, a United States representative from Massachusetts, and the founder of Tiffany & Company. American classicist and California pioneer Charles Dexter Cleveland said of their con that it was, quote, one of the most barefaced, reckless, courageous, bold, ingenious, premeditated, carefully planned, deliberate, time-serving, colossal frauds ever known in the history of man. And those are some bold words. Welcome to Criminalia. I'm Maria Tremarchi. And I'm Holly Fry. Philip Arnold was born in Elizabethtown, Kentucky in 1829. He didn't have much of a formal education, but he was, by the time we meet him in this story, a former apprentice at a hattery, a Mexican-American war veteran, and a California Gold Rush 49er. He spent roughly two decades working in mining operations in the American West, and he did well enough financially to travel periodically back to Kentucky, where he had purchased a farm, gotten married, and started a family. 
1870, he was working as an assistant bookkeeper for the Diamond Drill Company, a San Francisco drill maker that used diamond-headed bits. I smell foreshadowing. Philip developed an interest in the industrial-grade diamonds that the company used, and by November of that year, he had come by, or perhaps slowly acquired, a bag of rough, uncut diamonds, presumably taken from his employer. He mixed those diamonds with garnets, rubies, and sapphires, presumably purchased from indigenous peoples in Arizona. That same month he acquired those diamonds, Philip and his cousin John Slack, who'd also been a Gold Rush 49er, partnered up to run a con. Using their bag of rough gems as, let's air quote this, proof, the men claimed to have discovered a large field of diamonds along the state line between Wyoming's Sweetwater County and Colorado's Moffat County, though some newspapers at that time would report it as being in Arizona. Their next move was to get the word out. One evening, the two fake prospectors appeared at the San Francisco office of George D. Roberts, a financier and well-known businessman who liked to have his hand in a good deal, and he was willing to strike quickly when he saw opportunity. Roberts came into his fortune in 1850 when he struck gold while working as a lumberman, and some reports suggest Philip may once have worked for Roberts as a prospector. When the pair visited Roberts, they had with them a leather bag. And they told him it contained something valuable, which they had been unable to deposit, at the local bank, the Bank of California, because it was already closed for the night. They wanted to find a safe place to keep it, just temporarily. Eventually, and of course, necessarily for the con, Philip let it slip that they were carrying diamonds and that they knew where to find more. Later, when this whole con had been exposed, Philip recalled to the Louisville Courier-Journal, quote, Roberts was very much elated by our discovery and promised Slack and myself to keep it a profound secret until we could explore the country further and ascertain more fully the extent of our discoveries. So Roberts agreed to secrecy and then immediately blabbed. He told William C. Ralston, founder of the Bank of California and legendary financier who invested in almost everything, and he told adventurer and financier Asbury Harpending. Harpending was also a privateer, once accused of high treason. That, however, is a story for another time. He, as excited as Roberts, would go on to write in his memoir, quote, I had some knowledge of the prospectors. Arnold generally had borne a good reputation among the mining fraternity. Slack seemed to be a stray bird who had blown in by chance, probably picked up by Arnold because of a marriage relationship. It seemed they had told a straight enough story. It was impossible to tangle them in any detail. He continued that the investors knew that, quote, they had got something that would astonish the world. Philip and John returned to the diamond field and recovered 60 pounds of diamonds and rubies, which they estimated were worth more than half a million dollars. And this was super exciting. Roberts brought two more prominent mining entrepreneurs into the investment group, General George S. Dodge, who was a former Union Army officer, and William Lent, who, like Ralston, had been a prominent investor in the Comstock Lode, which was one of the most significant silver mining discoveries in American history. Roberts and his associates, that he had blabbed to, <laughs> wanted in on this diamond boom. But what the men didn't know, of course, was that the bags of diamonds that Philip and John had presented them were actually full of gems. 
of inferior quality that they had previously acquired to use as samples. This may have been a con, but those gems they presented were real. They were just industrial-grade diamonds. So they were the sort of things you would use in drill tips at Diamond Drill Company, but they were not the sort that you would set in jewelry. Now that they knew about the diamond field, Roberts, Ralston, Harpening, Lent, and Dodge couldn't wait to get Philip and John out of the way and decided to buy out their interests. At first, the swindlers didn't take the money, but it was John of the pair who did request $100,000 for their efforts to be paid out $50,000 immediately and $50,000 after the pair made another harvest at the diamond field. There is no record of Philip taking money at this time. The men used their initial investment money to travel to London under assumed names. Philip went by a Mr. Andal and John by Mr. Bircham, which was his middle name. There, they purchased about $20,000 worth of rough, uncut diamonds and rubies, which was thousands of stones in total, actually, from a London gem merchant named Leopold Keller. Upon the pair's return to San Francisco in the summer of 1871, they claimed these gems were part of their most recent haul from the field. They also claimed this haul was worth a couple million dollars, and they suggested the businessmen hold the gems as a guarantee of their investment. Harpending later wrote he and his fellow investors, quote, did not waste time on ceremonies. A sheet was spread on my billiard table. I cut the elaborate fastenings of the sack and, taking hold of the lower corners, dumped the contents. It seemed like a dazzling, many-colored cataract of light. We're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor, and when we're back, we will talk about appraisals, both of the stones and of the diamond site itself. rant for a sec. Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions. And I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past, and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash criminalia. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day-to-day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low-key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But 
That also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash criminalia for 10% off your first order. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with dust-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's get back to this con. First, let's talk about what happened the day the investors took their sample for appraisal. The investors may have been dazzled by the gems and the financial prospect of this deal, but they were, remember, savvy businessmen. At least they were before this con. They hadn't yet bought out Philip and John, and before risking any more money on a diamond field that they didn't yet own and hadn't yet seen, they decided to bring 10% of that recent bag of gems to a jeweler for appraisal, and maybe also for a bit of peace of mind. And they didn't go to just any jeweler. They took a sample to famous diamond expert Charles Lewis Tiffany of Tiffany & Company, the iconic jewelry store in New York, to test for authentication. Sometime in October of 1871, the group met at the house of a man named Samuel Barlow on the corner of 23rd Street and Madison Avenue for the appraisal appointment. Barlow was a good friend of Ralston, and he was a corporate lawyer. In fact, Harpending, Lent, and Dodge had retained him for this diamond deal. Among others present, in addition to the primary investors, were Major General George McClellan of American Civil War fame and a one-time presidential candidate who ran against Abraham Lincoln, United States Representative Benjamin Butler, who the group hoped could help resolve any legal issues in Congress if the diamond field turned out to be on federal land, Horace Greeley, supporter of westward expansion and editor of the New York Tribune, and several high-profile bankers. Of the scene, Harpending wrote, quote, Tiffany held them up to the light, looking every whit the part of a great connoisseur. 
Tiffany delivered a preliminary verdict on the gems. Quote, Gentlemen, these are beyond question precious stones of enormous value. Of course, that's what they wanted to hear. Lady Luck was on the side of the swindlers on this day, as neither Tiffany nor his lapidary, who also reviewed the gems, had experience with uncut stones. Tiffany mistakenly valued the sample far greater than the gems were actually worth setting the value at about $150,000, which made the latest delivery to the partners worth about $1.5 million. That number is not adjusted for today's value. The investors, elated by this news, allowed a generous sampling of the stones to be presented in the display window of San Francisco jeweler William Willis, both feeding into the city's gemstone fever and potentially increasing the value of their future gem investments. On the heels of this Tiffany appraisal, the investors set final conditions before purchasing the diamond field. They wanted two things. They wanted the men to guide an inspection team to the site, and they wanted an independent expert of their choice, a respected mining engineer named Henry Jannon, to assess the field. Jannon had reportedly examined more than 600 mines and had never made a mistake. Also on the heels of the Tiffany appraisal, Philip requested $100,000 from the investors, a down payment toward the eventual sale of the field. At this point, John's prior request for $100,000 for the work they had done to procure the samples, remember, that was split into two payouts. That had been paid out and spent. Again, flush with money, the con men traveled back to London, where they spent $8,000 on more uncut gems, again from Leopold Keller. These gems were destined to be planted in preparation for Jannon's visit to the site. In early June of 1872, the inspection party set out, first by Union Pacific train to Rollins, Wyoming, and then horseback to their destination. During the journey, it said Philip and John would pull out their compasses and feign being lost and would often lead the group on circuitous and meandering routes in an effort to keep them disoriented. The country was wild and inhospitable, Harpenden later recalled. Their final destination turned out to be a broad mesa that was dominated by a conical mountain to its south. Now on site, the conmen's good luck continued because, bewilderingly, a, quote, wildly enthusiastic Janin concluded that the diamond field was, quote, absolutely genuine. Later, he recalled, quote, for more than an hour, diamonds were being found in profusion, together with occasional rubies, emeralds, and sapphires. Harpending noted, quote, everyone wanted to find the first diamond. The story of this newly found diamond field and Janin's verdict swept across newspapers, both in the United States and internationally. The London banking firm of Rothschild, which had financed the British government's purchase of the Suez Canal from Egypt, four million pounds, expressed interest in the diamond field. Later, they would have a seat on the board of the investor's new mining company. And directly speaking of that, after Janin's thumbs-up assessment, the men established a new mining company, the San Francisco and New York Mining and Commercial Company, and they raised $850,000 from investors for 20% of the company which was valued at $4.25 million. Again, those numbers are not adjusted for today's amounts. The value of the mine, based on that sort of rough math you can do historically, 
would have exceeded $86 million in today's money if it had been real. When they sold the mine to the investors after Jennings' review, John Slack vanished, and there's actually not much trail to follow. Philip stuck around to collect. He accepted $150,000 that had been pledged to him if Jennings' appraisal was satisfactory. And he had sold Harpending the balance of his interest in the gem fields for $300,000. With the $100,000 down payment Philip had previously received, that brought his total take to more than $500,000, which is roughly kind of almost $12 million in today's equivalent. Jannon may have been preoccupied when he missed the mark on the fraudulent gem field. It's reported that he busied himself not just with gemstones during his time on site, but also with staking out 3,000 acres of land at the site to purchase with the money that he made on the job. The investors had paid him $2,500, and he had also been given 1,000 shares of company stock at $10 per share. Regardless of his failure at the field, though, Jannon was pivotal in bringing down the scam. By pure chance, in October of 1872, he happened to meet respected United States government geologist and surveyor Clarence King aboard a train in California. Hearing the story of this diamond field, King grew concerned that he and his team of geologists and prospectors had missed this massive diamond deposit. They were, at the time, in the final stages of a federal survey of the mineral, agricultural, and other resources along a wide swath of land following the Transcontinental Railroad from the Rocky Mountains to the Sierra. King decided to take a look at this diamond field himself. By the evening of the first day of their investigation, geologist Samuel Emmons, a member of King's team, wrote in his field notes that they, quote, came upon a bare, iron-stained bit of coarse sandstone rock about a hundred feet long. Throwing down our bridle reins, we began examining the rock on our hands and knees, and in another instant, I had found a small ruby. This was indeed the spot. The diamond fever had now attacked us with vigor, and while daylight lasted, we continued in this position, picking up precious stones. And when a diamond was found, it was quite a time before our benumbed fingers could succeed in grasping the tiny stone. He continued that they, quote, dreamed of the untold wealth that might be gathered. Harpending wrote of this scene, quote, in fact, King came very near being fooled as badly as anyone else. We're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor right now. And when we return, we will talk about how Clarence King brought down this scam. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. 
And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back to Criminalia. Though Clarence King and his team of scientists and prospectors may have been dazzled the first day on site, things changed. Quickly. By the very next day, the team began noticing suspicious things about this site, such as this really big one. King and his team were finding diamonds in places or groupings where they wouldn't naturally occur. King was really good at his work, and he knew, among many other things, that gems like emeralds, rubies, and sapphires don't turn up in proximity to diamonds, and here is why. All precious stones are crystallized carbon that have been formed under great pressure. Each grouping tends to stratify with gems of the same or similar color, so you'll find rubies with rubies, emeralds with emeralds, diamonds with diamonds. You get the picture. On November 11, 1872, King sent a telegram from a small railroad station in Wyoming to the office of the San Francisco and New York Mining and Commercial Company, announcing that the diamond field prospected by Philip Arnold and John Slack was, quote, fraudulently and plainly salted. So what's meant by salting or seeding the field is this. The only diamonds found on Philip and John's site were ones that they'd put there. The men, King assessed, had deliberately placed gems in the ground to dupe potential investors, and the whole thing resembled a dry potato patch. It was a fraud. The investors, quote, were astonished, King would write, and were, quote, thrown into utter consternation. Much later, one of the original investors admitted that if they'd spent an extra hour walking around and exploring the area they probably would have spotted the scam and avoided the whole mess. The allure of a field full of gems had led them all to believe what they wanted to, instead of thinking critically about the find. 
Jackson Lears, a professor of history at Rutgers University and author of the book Something for Nothing, Luck in America, has written, quote, The 1870s was the golden age of gambling due to an expanding post-Civil War frontier economy. In an unregulated laissez-faire economy, licit and illicit risk were difficult to distinguish. Only after it had turned out well did a speculation become an investment. Playing the market could be just as shady an enterprise as running a three-card Monty game on a steamboat or organizing a diamond swindle. News of the Great Diamond Hoax broke in newspapers across San Francisco and revealed many high-profile figures from both coasts, including bankers, financiers, mining engineers, and of course the renowned jeweler Charles Tiffany had been duped. The Associated Press wired an article about the hoax not only to papers in the U.S., but around the world. On November 26, the San Francisco Chronicle stacked headlines on its front page about the whole thing beginning from top to bottom with Unmasked, followed by one that read The Great Diamond Fiasco, then The Mammoth Fraud Exposed, and Astounding Revelations. And because the two swindlers were long gone from San Francisco at this point, the press focused on the company's gullible principal investors, and the tongue-in-cheek writing included reports of, quote, how the millionaires were victimized. The press coverage really was harsh. Henry Jannon, remember, he was the highly respected but duped mining engineer, was criticized in multiple articles in multiple papers for being so easily conned. Asbury Harpending came under suspicion by the press as a perpetrator of the fraud himself, but nothing came of that one. It was publicly discovered that United States Representative Butler received a 1,000 shares of stock for expediting a mining act through Congress that would allow the company to buy the federal land that the bogus diamond field sat on. It was widely reported that the founder of the Bank of California, William Ralston, was conned out of $250,000. And outside of the newspapers, William Lent claimed in a lawsuit that he had lost roughly $350,000. On November 27, 1872, the San Francisco and New York Mining and Commercial Company held its final meeting, where they confirmed that the Diamond Field was a hoax and refunded whatever money was still on hand. A grand jury in San Francisco indicted both Philip and John, but they never went to trial, and the contents of those indictments were never revealed. Curiously, in an odd turn of events, a man named James B. Cooper came forward to take credit for having given the idea to Philip. Cooper, it turned out, was the bookkeeper at the same diamond tip drill bit making company that Philip had worked at, the Diamond Drill Company. In fact, Philip had been Cooper's assistant. Cooper claimed that Philip and John left town after the diamond hoax was exposed and stiffed him on his share of the swindle, and he was mad about it. But he wasn't indicted, nor was he arrested or charged. Philip replied to the indictment in an interview with a Louisville paper, stating, quote, I have employed counsel myself, a good Henry Rifle. There's speculation that these indictments never went anywhere because the investors feared further bad publicity. This was really a huge hit to their reputations. Philip Arnold's life ended where it began, in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. He was sued by investors, but the matter was settled out of court. 
Some reports suggest that Lent and Harpending traveled to Kentucky to negotiate with him, but we do know that in March of 1873, it's reported Philip did agree to return $150,000, but only in exchange for immunity from further litigation. Philip managed to retire with a significant portion of his ill-gotten gains. He supported local commerce, and he, yes, he became a legit banker in 1873 by using remaining cash from the swindle to purchase a bank that already did a thriving business in Elizabethtown. His downfall wasn't his diamond con. It was when he loaned money to a struggling rival bank in the county. When the rival bank refused to repay the interest on the loan in June of 1878, Phillips Bank filed suit. And then things snowballed. One of the rival bank clerks, a Harry Holdsworth, questioned Phillips' banking practices. Philip replied, but not in this war of words. He cane-whipped Holdsworth midday on the public square. Two months later, passing on the street, the men exchanged a few words and quickly went for their guns. Philip had a six-shooter, but missed each shot. Holdsworth had with him a double-barreled shotgun, and he shot Philip in the shoulder. Three bystanders were also injured. Philip survived, but recovery from such a wound would have taken months, maybe years, and six months later, he contracted pneumonia, and because of complications, he died at the age of 49. Going over Philip's books after his death, Harpending and Lent discovered in a ledger that John had received some money from the con, but the majority remained in the safe at Philip's bank. Some, too, was secured in real estate. Although he left his family fairly comfortable financially, there is money from the hoax that has never been accounted for. Today, Philip's family home is known as the Philip Arnold House, and it sits unaltered at 422 East Poplar Street in Elizabethtown. The Italianate-style house, built in 1869, was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1988. We mentioned earlier that Philip's nearly silent partner, John Slack, disappeared. Most historians assume he died or fled the country after the investor field trip to the Diamond Site with Harry Jannon, which was the last time he was seen. But there's another theory, a theory that leaves him in New Mexico at the end of his life. So a man named Bruce A. Woodard, an accountant who became interested in this hoax, wrote in his book Diamonds in the Salt that John had gone on to work as a coffin maker in St. Louis, Missouri. According to Woodard, he eventually moved to White Oaks, New Mexico, where he worked either making caskets or as an undertaker, or perhaps a bit of both, until his death at the age of 76 in 1896. And let's not overlook the hero of this story, Clarence King. Because this case was followed closely in newspapers from San Francisco to New York to London, the man who solved it, King, found himself kind of an international celebrity. The San Francisco Chronicle editorialized that, quote, We have escaped, thanks to God, all caps, and Clarence King, also all caps, a great financial calamity. Similarly, the San Francisco Bulletin reported, quote, Fortunately for the good name of San Francisco and the state, there was one cool-headed man of scientific education who esteemed it his duty to investigate the matter in the only right way. 
King went on to become the first director of the United States Geological Survey from 1879 to 1881. His friend, United States statesman John Hay, called him, quote, the best and brightest man of his generation. So a number of the quotes that we've been able to share with you that have been wonderful detail in this story of Swindle are from Asbury Harpending, who penned a memoir in 1913 called The Great Diamond Hoax and Other Stirring Incidents in the Life of Asbury Harpending. Among many things he said of Philip Arnold, he gives us this, that if Philip had chosen the stage, he would have been the greatest actor of the 19th century. So let's have a drink to maybe no hard feelings. I guess, you know, if Harpending wasn't financially ruined by the whole thing and was just a little embarrassed, but had a past as a privateer. I, I think he's, he, I think he probably it. was untouchable in right. terms of like being hurt by his reputation being, being darted. I think he's um, done most of that himself. <laughs> So for scam sauce, of course, I wanted to make something sparkly. So that means some bubbles. But also, I kind of wanted to make something that'll really confuse you a little bit and slap you around. So it's called the Dazzler. And this is like making a cocktail and then plussing it up. (laughs) It's pretty easy. It involves an ingredient that's pretty common, but we haven't used it yet. I don't think at all on the show. We're starting with three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice. We've definitely used that. (laughs) Definitely have. A half ounce of simple syrup. And you can, when you hear the rest of the recipe, you can tweak that simple syrup amount up or down to your taste. Always you can. Three quarters of an ounce of velvet falernum, which I don't think we've used on the show before. If you've never had it before... It is a liqueur that is citrusy, but it also has spice to it. Mm -hmm. It gets used in a lot of tiki drinks. You can also just sip it over ice. It's pretty yummy, but we're not done. So uh, that was... (laughs) It's not just those three things. (laughs) And then, so at this point, we're at three quarters of an ounce of lemon, a half ounce of simple syrup, three quarters of an ounce of velvet falernum, or falernum, some people say it that way, and an ounce and a half of vodka. You will, as we have all come to know and love, throw that in a shaker with ice. Shake it, shake it, shake shake it. Also, before you start this, go ahead and throw your coop in the fridge and get it nice and cold or fill it with ice and let it chill. Then you will dump out any ice if you used it in your coop. You will strain this thing in your shaker into the coop, and then you're going to top it with Prosecco or champagne. There's an optional ingredient that like is the kind of thing I would run out and pick up if I read a recipe like this and I had some because I like it, which is iridescent edible glitter. Okay, so what's funny is when you said that you called it dazzling, that's actually immediately the one thing that I thought of. And then I second to that thought, no, she's not going to use that. Of course I am. (laughs) Like, I don't know you. (laughs) Listen, I love edible glitter. I love it on baked goods. I love it in drinks. I love it everywhere. This is completely unrelated to this drink because you wouldn't use ice in it. But I like to put it, mix it into water and then fill ice cube trays and then drop those ice cubes into drinks and your drink slowly gets more and more sparkly. Love it. You have a full pour, essentially, of champagne or Prosecco and a full (laughs) cocktail. It has a weird thing where because of those citrus and spice notes 
from the Falernum, you're like, what exactly is in this? And you can't quite tell. And then, uh uh-oh, you might be a little intoxicated. Like, (laughs) it's kind of how I imagine this whole situation going on with these otherwise smart men being like, look at that sparkly thing. I completely believe whatever you say. I am hypnotized by the sparkle and feel a little drunk. And now I'm in trouble. (laughs) So that's the Dazzler. For the mocktail on this, the mocktail is a little bit interesting and it has options. For the vodka, I would say you could completely just omit it. No problem. Or if you want to have the ounceage be the same, I would add club soda after you have shaken it. Or flavored water there if you want. But I don't think you need it. You can get Falernum syrup that is non-alcoholic. But if you just want to make your own syrup that kind of mimics it, I would do like your standard one-to-one, one cup of sugar, one cup of water. I would throw in a third of a cup of chopped up orange, a little bit of lemon, Mm -hmm. chopped up lemon. And then I would do, I would add some spices, like throw some clove and stuff in there. Let that all simmer for a bit, let it steep for a bit, and then strain it into a jar. And then you have this unique citrusy, spicy syrup that you could use in lots of things. Put that on a pancake and your life will change, I'm telling you. But it also works great in drinks. You would do that and then in lieu of Prosecco or Champagne, do your ginger ale or your club soda. You still have this very interesting, sparkly, pretty thing where you're like, yummy, except you will keep your wits about you and not be taken in (laughs) by a swindler, we hope. We hope. We hope. That is the Dazzler. Quite yummy. Again, I added a little more sweet to mine because then you just have like sweet bubbles and you can't really tell you're getting, um, (laughs) what is that at that point, like uh, 2.25 ounces of spirit plus four ounces of uh, champagne, which is a lot in one drink. I was just thinking about how I would remove the simple syrup and all the alcohol that would be left behind for me to just drink. I did it initially without any simple syrup. And to my, even though I like sweet, I've come to appreciate a less sweet drink. But to me, there was something sharp about it that I right. did not like. Sometimes you need a little bit, even if you don't like it. Falernum doesn't get mixed with like a champagne or a, a Prosecco very often. Mm-hmm. I think there's an interaction there where it's like that spice in the orange with those bubbles is a bit assaultive to the palate if you don't have something buffering smooth. it, like a little sugar. I will keep that in mind, because usually I, I, I'm i fine with putting it in, but I just like to go. I usually go halfsies. Yeah, make it first without <laughs> it. But then it is it is tricky to mix it in after the fact. I know, that's the problem. Incorporating syrup late in the game is a little hard, but if you, you know, try it and then make yourself another. It's fine. Exactly. Uh- <laughs> just keep going. It's all fine. If you make a Dazzler, we hope you love it and that it does not get you into any kind of trouble whatsoever. As always, drink responsibly. We will be right back here next week with some more hoaxes and scams and then uh, also a bit of scam sauce for you to enjoy. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.